The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Happy New Year, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is the first episode of 2019. Hope you guys had an awesome New Year's and Christmas season. But today, to start off the year, I have a couple questions for you. Namely, have you ever really considered what you've been taught about the devil? Have you ever taken time to think about him or think about the idea of the devil? Have you ever questioned, maybe, what you were told? You know, the third of the angels fell from the sky or from heaven or from wherever heaven is. Uh, that he is got a pitchfork and a forked tongue and maybe even wears red tights like Santa Claus. <laughs> anyway, the devil is one of those subjects that is common throughout every culture, yet I'm not sure we really know who he is or what he is. As always, let's talk about it. All right, episode number 10, we're going to talk about the devil today. Mama said that everything is the devil. Oh my goodness, if you don't know the reference I just very poorly alluded to, it's uh, the movie Waterboy. You should go check it out, it's pretty funny. Anyway, so happy 2019, uh, episode number 10. I am naming this episode Satan, the father of all lies. You know, that uh, reference, uh, Jesus calls him or it the father of lies, and I'm hoping by the end of this episode you may have a different in a uh, different way in which you hear that phrase you know just to allude to where i'm headed that the idea of satan or the presence of satan in culture and and in our concept of how everything works in the universe that maybe that is the major lie itself that the idea of satan or the the doctrine of satan is the lie and that lie has fathered all other lies. So it's a different way. It's a turn of phrase. It's, it's a way to look at what Jesus said that hopefully uh, today I'm not going to draw a bunch of conclusions for you. I am actually going to just poke a bunch of holes because to be honest, there are thousands of them. Well, hundreds. Um, there are so many holes in the, in the doctrine of Satan. And for the most part, most people don't even have a doctrine of Satan. They just have these loose ideas of what they've been taught, what they've seen in the movies, what you know, plays like Dante's Inferno um, have portrayed about hell and Satan and all this stuff. And for, for my part, I, when I really examined this, I referenced it in a previous episode um, where I, when I was talking about uh, how to view the Bible. And I was at a church, and the preacher referenced a uh, couple of different passages where Satan was opposing David, King David, and God was opposing King David. And I mentioned that when that, that verse, those two verses popped up into my, 
my journey, and I was at that church, and I realized, wow, I need to go study this. It led me into an entirely different perspective of who and what Satan is. So, in the end, there's there's a lot more discussion and a lot more unpacking to do, and I just want to start out by saying, look, evil is real. Demons are real. I've dealt with demons. I have experienced uh, personal attacks. I have cast them out. I have I have seen the reality of the demonic. There is no denying that demons are real. There is clearly no design, denying that evil is real. Just look around. There's no de- denying that there's even a, a hierarchy in the demonic realm. Um, and so, and because there's a hierarchy, uh, there is a quote-unquote general of the demons. There is a leader of the demonic realm. There is a top dog in that, in darkness. We have come to know that individual or that, that, uh, that demonic presence as the devil. And he has different names, right? The devil, Satan, Lucifer, prince of demons, you know, whatever, the, the enemy, I love that one. You know, the <laughs> I was talking to my wife in preparation for this episode, and I asked her. I said, "So, what are the basic some of the basic concepts that you've been taught about the the devil?" And she's like, "Well, the one that always just seemed so backwards from who God really was was the idea that, well, if you're going to do something good for God, then right around the corner the devil's going to show up and make it really hard." And so, basically, any Christian who ever had a hard time in life. One of the one of the comforting blankets that they threw, were able to throw on themselves was that, well, because I'm doing good things for God, that's why I'm losing my house, or that's why my friends are whatever, you know, my family's falling apart, and it just becomes this. Uh, I don't know. There is a reality to evil. There is a reality to the creative capacity within the darkness that humanity uh, finds itself regularly. But I believe if we examine Satan and we examine the things that we were taught, it's largely no different than Santa Claus. Um, There is a reality to how we give each other gifts. There's a reality to the the magic, quote-unquote, that is inside of Christmas. Yet Santa Claus has become the personification of, of an idea, and I believe Satan has become the same thing. So, what is true? I just kind of mentioned that. What is true about Satan slash the devil is that evil exists. There is a hierarchy inside the demonic realm, and that demons are real. Okay, so nowhere in this podcast am I denying the existence of darkness. Okay, just get that out of the way, because every time I have this conversation, people kind of freak out about that. So, what is not true, and I'm going to just kind of list this, and then we're going to poke a few holes. So right out of the gate, the idea that he's a fallen angel, um, I don't believe that is true at all. And if you have taken that as gospel truth for your whole life, I'm gonna, we're going to go into the Bible, spend a lot of time in the Bible today, um, and we're going to unpack where those, these doctrines come from, and you're going to realize just how incredibly weak these doctrines are for for being something so taken for granted and so massive. I mean, our doctrine of Satan is as is as pervasive and and quote unquote 
secure as our doctrine of the cross or our doctrine of Israel being the chosen people of God for 2,000 years. I mean, we have some really, really massive assumptions inside the Christian church, and one of them is who and what Satan is. And when you realize where these these teachings come from, you realize, holy crap. <laughs> if you have not examined it, it, those doctrines are so incredibly weak. So anyway, one of them being that he's a fallen angel, another one being that a third of the angels fell with him. Those are complete interpretations, and they're bad interpretations, if I may say so myself. And here's the big one. Have you ever really kind of examined like this basic energetic idea that Satan is somehow not powerful enough to defeat God, but at the same time powerful enough not to lose to God? Like, apparently the cross did not defeat the devil. Apparently, Jesus did not win all the way. So Satan's never going to win, yet somehow he's also never going to lose, or he'll lose someday. And then you get into this, is he eternal? Was he created? Did God know that he was going to be Satan when he created this supposed fallen angel? So if you just pause Pause, pause the podcast right now. Don't even, don't even listen to the rest of what I'm going to say for the next five minutes. Just stop and consider, like, there is no logical reality behind the basic assumptions of this somehow eternal but not eternal, somehow all-powerful but not all-powerful, somehow omnipresent but not omnipresent, Satan, the devil. And it's pretty funny. I've, I've heard some preachers, and rightfully so, when they say, you know, the devil is attacking me. Um, if there is a single individual of that caliber known as the general of all demons, and I believe energetically there is, and he's attacking you, <laughs> you're kind of a big deal on the planet filled with 8 billion people. And so we all have this idea that the devil's, that, that Satan's coming after me, that same Satan who came after Jesus and yet we somehow think that he's not omnipresent, but he is. And So just pause and think, wow, that's what I had to do. I realized, oh my goodness, I have all of these assumptions that if I just kind of line them up in order and I, and I write them down on a piece of paper, it is abundantly clear that I've never actually taken the time to think about this. Like, none of this makes sense together. He's eternal, but not. He's all-powerful, but not. He's omnipresent, but not. He can read my thoughts, but he can't. Like, wow. So there's a there's so many holes in there. Now, where do we get these ideas? They all, in theory, come from the Bible. You'll realize that most of the real doctrine of Satan comes from sources outside of the Bible. Um, if you really drill down to like the whole third of the angels concept or any of that, that you start getting into things like the book of Enoch or even things as recent as Dante's Inferno and other historical references where culture has built assumptions around Satan, but there's very, very little biblical evidence to base it on. And if you're a new, if you're on the Christian side of New Age Christianity and you want to know where this comes from, I think you're going to find that uh, these verses illuminate a lot of uh, other possibilities. So the number one, I 
there's four main places in the Bible that the doctrine of Satan comes from. Uh, the first one is Ezekiel 28. Uh, Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. And I am going to read them. So if you're, if you're not a Christian person, I'm telling you, stay engaged. Um, even if the Bible kind of bores you a bit, stay engaged because the conclusions that, that come out of these, this discussion, I think, will help you. So, Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. And you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were initially internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in, all the eyes of, in, in the eyes of all who see you. All who knew you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. So, this is arguably the main place where people get the idea that Satan is an angel, that he was cast out of heaven, and that he, if you Google it, you'll like from here you get all this, all this additional idea. Have you ever heard? You know, you have this imagination of like a, a war in heaven, and Satan gathered a third of the angels with him to fight God, and Satan was at one point the most powerful angel, and he was the bomb diggity in heaven. And you realize like none of that is in here, right? None of the none of that fantasy picture is in here. I have no problem with with trying to uh, elaborate on verses. But when the world takes it for granted and you and somebody like me comes in into a podcast and asks questions and people look at me like, "Well, how can how can you deny that there was a third of the angels? How can you deny that that Satan fell from heaven?" Because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> like there's interpretation but it is an this is an element over the king of Tyre, right? If you go back to Jewish history, the king of Tyre was a real person, right? And then I won't even get into the context of what's before and after these verses. But this this was about a real person. Now, I will admit and I will absolutely embrace the truth that this is also prophetic language, and. If this is a real person, you were talking about being in Eden, so God is actually saying something more poetically or more, more prophetically than just facts and history figures, okay? 
Now, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So there, there are nine stones listed there in verse 13. You realize that the breastplate of righteousness on the high priest of Israel had 12 stones. And all nine of these were on that breastplate. So something connects, and I, if you want to know more, you're going to have to sign up for the study group or, or take, a, take the class when it comes out. But the, something connects these nine stones to this, and this character to the high priest and the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I'm going to ask you rhetorically, were there any other characters in Eden? Were there any other people in that story? Obviously, Adam and Eve. What if this passage is not about Satan? But what if this passage is about Adam? When you study the fact that this character in Ezekiel 28 is, is an anointed cherub, I would encourage you, go study cherubs. Go study the Hebraic understanding of cherubs. I did this study, and you know Jesus has a reference that in the coming age we will be like the angels. There is the archangel concept that, and, and that we are the temple of God. I'm just going to jump right to the potential conclusion that we are the concept of cherubs, that we are the concept spoken of, that we were the covering of God because we had God in us and have God in us, right? And then the whole male and female concept that there are two covering cherubs and that together we make the male-female of God. But I believe Ezekiel 28, and there's so much more I could unpack. I'm trying to poke holes in the assumptions and how you fill them in is, is up to you. But Ezekiel 28 is that, is that main place where a lot of the ideas come about who Satan is. And yet, I believe there's a very good chance that that is actually talking about Adam. And that Adam was the one in the Garden of Eden. And that Adam had nine of the twelve stones of the breastplate of righteousness. He lost them in the fall. And that those twelve stones uh, equate to the twelve fruits on the tree of life. And because Adam, Adam had not eaten of the tree of life, he did not have the other three stones that make the full 12 stones of the breastplate of righteousness, that Adam did not put on the identity that he was meant to put on. Now, there is a bunch of references in here about the trading and uh, who Satan is. And I know there are people who listen to the podcast who and are part of New Age Christianity who have been taught other things about this passage and about trading and what trading on the on the sea of glass in front of the throne of God. And that stuff is all, I, I have no problem with the intentions of what those teachers are sharing because we do. We, um, there's, there's a teaching out there that we essentially are, and that Satan here, he traded his righteousness for lies um, and that we are regularly trading our energy, our beliefs, our identity. Um, and it's basically the idea that whatever you're sowing into, you're trading. You're, you're merchandising your life, your time, your money, your energy, and you're trading into your job, your family. And it, in the whole trading concept inside of these, this group of teachings, it, it makes sense. And I, and I don't mind the language what bothers me or what, I don't know if it bothers me, but what 
I believe is incorrect about it is that they pull it from this passage and they have made the whole trading concept honestly. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, to be honest, it, it oftentimes when I see people in that trading concept, it's it starts to look like buying your way into heaven or buying your way into righteousness. And a lot of people trade their money for uh, another another nugget. And I've been in those conferences where I, I it's one of those difficult things that each person's heart's going to be a little bit different. But I would just encourage you that if you feel like you have to give your money in order to get more more downloads from God, that's a lie. You don't have to buy wisdom from God. You don't and and yeah, you you quote unquote trade your time, you trade your energy, but you don't have to buy it. And I think a lot of what it's been boiled down to is financial uh, financial efforts to buy our way into heaven. So that's enough enough to say about that. If you got questions, as always, hit me up on Facebook or or uh, we're going to be adding some more features on the website uh, early this year that will make it easier to ask questions. And uh, so. Looking forward to some of that. All right, so that's Ezekiel 28. Now, another one is Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. This is a longer passage. I cut out a lot of context because, to be honest, it's it's even further evidence that the context for certain things is just so ridiculous. And the context in Isaiah 14 is that uh, God is angry at Babylon. There is a section, and it's talking about Babylon, Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. So, a few things in here. One, this is the New American Standard uh, translation, but if if I would have read uh, many other translations, it would not have said, O star of the morning. It would have said, Lucifer, son of the dawn. So Lucifer, as the name of the devil, is actually only 1,600 years old. It's not Hebraic in any sense, and it's not even the early church. It was 400 years later when the Latin Vulgate translation was uh, being created, that idea, O star of the morning, is actually translated in others as O light of the morning or light bearer. So the Latin word for light bearer is lucid ferrier, right? To, to ferry something, you know, ferry across the water. Uh, so it's, and lucid is light. So it's literally light carrier or light bearer. And over time, Lucid Ferrier became Lucifer. And so we've given him a name. Oh, his name is Lucifer. No, that's, that's Latin Vulgate, 400 years after Christ. So Lucifer is not his name. Never was. And, you know, fine, we can give something an identity. I understand words matter. But this is just how weak. I'm not trying to... You know, if you get to know me, you will find I'm I don't really care about stupid doctrine all that much in the sense that that uh, people it's what they believe is more important than the facts, like how they what it does in their life, the fruit it produces. And so having the wrong name for Satan is not going to cause any 
problems, right? Whether you call him Lucifer or Bob, I don't care. Um, so, and if there's any Bobs listening, I'm sorry. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not likening you to Lucifer. I'm just saying, it, it, his name doesn't matter. But what I'm, the point I'm making is we have this massive assumed truth that his name is Lucifer. And it's a complete farce. It's not in the Bible. It's not even Hebraic. And it comes from the Latin Vulgate 400 years after Christ. Another idea here is that um, if you noticed, so I believe this is another prophetic passage about Adam, okay, that it says at the end, I will make myself like the Most High. So you have the idea that Satan wanted to be like God, right? Yet at the same time, that's exactly the story of Adam and Eve. That, he would, that, that they ate of the tree so that they would be like God and have their eyes opened and they would know good and evil. The additional crazy insight is, this is a nugget for another day, in Genesis 3.22, God admits that they did, become, did indeed become like one of them. And uh, so becoming like God is a thing. And it is something that happened. And this being did that or attempted to do that. And so again, I'm going to, if you're not... Uh, if you're not following along or if, you, if you're not putting two and two together, I believe the passages about Satan are actually about Adam and not that Adam is the universal Satan, but that Adam and Satan have a relationship that's a bit more philosophical in nature and less on the nose as being some bad guy with red spandex and a pitchfork. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 is where you get the idea of Lucifer. You get the idea of Satan wanting to be like God. Yet those things are interpretations. All of these things are, inter- I'm, heck, I'm interpreting them as well. But I'm really just trying to poke at the assumptions that the world has not asked questions of. So those are the two, two main Old Testament passages. If you're thinking of passages in the Old Testament that talk about the devil or they talk about Satan, there's one big massive truth. I mentioned it in a previous podcast, and that is Satan, the word, the being, Satan. That word is in the Old Testament dozens, if not a couple hundred times. Because Satan is not a name either. Lucifer's not a name. Satan is not a name. Satan is a position that somebody puts on. It is the opponent, the accuser. When Jesus looks and looks to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, he's not saying, get behind me, big general of the eternal but not eternal armies of fallen angels that aren't really, you know, he's not saying that guy. He's saying, get behind me, opponent. You're opposing the things of God. Do not oppose the things of God, Peter. And I, you know, I believe if you were there, Peter would, would immediately connect what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking the things of God. It's, that's a very logical sentence. Stop opposing the things of God because you're not thinking the things of God, bro. Stop it. Okay. And Jesus wasn't just offensive for the sake of being offensive. He was drawing something and, and using strong language, sure, but if you go in the Old Testament, you will see that every enemy of Israel was a Satan. They were opponents. You know, David's enemies. I think there's a few passages where, where Saul is Satan to David because he's an opponent or an accuser. So 
even the old the name Satan and and the Old Testament idea of Satan is a significantly less uh, personified um, person. It's it's much more of an idea and a and an office that somebody can step into. To where that one passage I mentioned about where God steps into being Satan to Dave, to David, and he actually opposes David at one point. So, the New Testament passages, um, there's plenty of references to demonic. Jesus deals with demons. Jesus talks about Satan being the father of lies. So, again, there is a more philosophical way to view those discussions. If you remove the, what I would say, the lie, that there's a general you know, some some army of, of fallen angels and, and there's a general at the top. If you remove that concept, what do you replace it with? You replace it with a significantly more philosophical thing that Satan is an idea and that Satan is a reality to the process of the human mind and the process of the human psyche on how to live and, and engage with life. So, uh, let's start with Luke. So Luke ten eighteen, or sorry, ten seventeen um, through twenty. There's this story where Jesus sends out the seventy uh, disciples to to go to different towns and gives them instructions, and they come back, and the seventy returned. So in Luke Luke ten seventeen through twenty, the seventy returned and said with joy, saying, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And so here you have another idea where Satan is cast down from heaven. Jesus says it. It's, it's right there. Here's the thing. If you replace the idea of Satan being a, an individual general and you, and you say it is more of a philosophical discussion about a way that humanity thinks, that it's an opponent, that it's an accuser, and I would say, and, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, he's an idea, what is that idea? Well, that idea is separation. The idea, the lie, the father of all lies is that you are separate from God and that he's over there and you're over here. And these 70 are coming back and saying, God is in us. The, the demons are subject to us because of you, Jesus. And he says, yep, and right now I'm watching that lie, that idea that you and God are separate is falling from heaven like lightning. Now, once again, I am interpreting differently, and I am still interpreting. Yet, if you go to this passage and you think, okay, no, Satan is an individual that fell from heaven, it's a very interesting, at the very least, you're going, why in the world did Jesus just say that right there? What is, what is happening in these 70, these 70 disciples that equals Satan falling from heaven? Did one of them in one of those towns magically find, was this the moment that Satan was kicked out of heaven? Wait, I thought it was eons ago that Satan was kicked out of heaven. Oh, oh, Jesus was there eons ago. So somehow 
this moment is a reference to what happened eons. You see how confusing it gets? See how fast it breaks down the interpretation? But when you throw in the, the, the idea that separation, the idea of separation is Satan, and that God is separate from me, then, hmm, the 70 returning and saying that demons are listening to them and subject to them, that would be equivalent to Satan falling out of their minds, falling out of the heavens, which is, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So that's another question here where, okay, so if Satan fell out of heaven, well, where's that? You know, is it the sky? Is it, is it a, is it a square? Uh, what is it? A 1500 by 1500 cubit square on the other side of Mars that we just can't see yet. You know, that's where, where Satan came from. So once again, I, yes, I know I am drawing conclusions. I know I'm, I'm also uh, just as capable of being wrong, but there are so many assumptions you've been taught. And I believe that they're worth questioning and Obviously, I believe that they've been wrong. And the last major verse that we get some ideas about Satan is Revelation 12, uh, verses 1 through 4. And this is, the, this is the only biblical reference to one-third of the angels following Satan, okay, in that so-called cosmic battle that happened somewhere and sometime. A great sign appeared in heaven... A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Honestly, people, I don't care. (laughs) That one sentence, and his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That one sentence is where we have an entire idea of a third of the angels of heaven following Satan in a cosmic war, and now we have, you know, two-thirds of the angels are on God's side, and God is cannot be beat, yet a third of the angels are on Satan's side, and somehow Satan cannot lose, or at least Jesus couldn't defeat him. Like, that doctrine is so weak. I don't know what else to say. It is, it is weak, and it's, and it is silly. So, those are the you know, and by the way, Revelation chapter 12, um, if you go read Revelation, I'm going to throw a little little nugget in here. Um, this isn't so much about Satan, but this is about studying the book of Revelation. You know, in Revelation chapter 10, there's a reference to John eating a little book, and it is bitter. Uh, it's sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach, I believe. And um, the angel says that he must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. And so if you go read that passage, and, and I would interpret that whatever the prophecies are that, that John was, was giving, that he actually was supposed to give them twice, which is why he had a little book that was an additional prophecy that he said, you know, you must prophesy again. And so that there's actually two prophecies inside of the book of Revelation, and this is how I read it. 
And if you look, all of the language from Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 11 is uh, the same language. There's And there's things like, then I saw, and then I saw, and then I saw. And you have the reference to the sevens, seven bowls, or, well, not the bowls are later, you know, the, the seven trumpets, um, the seven seals, and so on and so forth. And then you get to Revelation chapter 12. And the word then is not there. It's not a continuation of anything. It's an entirely new set of images. It's an entirely new set of concepts. And I believe Revelation chapter 12 is the beginning of the quote-unquote little book that John ate in chapter 10. And that, that Revelation chapter 12 is actually an overlay of Revelation 1 through 11. And it's the same sequence of events spoken of differently and spoken of in different imagery. And that, and when you get to 11 chapter 15, the little book is quote unquote over. And now the two sets of imagery, the dragon and the sevens, they, they merge into one continued revelation so that chapters 12 and 13 are actually the little book, 12, 13, and 14, and and 14 into 15, you start actually melding the two concepts, and those two prophecies, or the those duplicate prophecies start moving on as one imagery. That's total side note to Satan, but to say that this, this particular passage is right at the beginning, it's literally the first four verses of that, of, of chapter 12, of that little book, and this is where we get this idea that a third of the angels have fallen from the sky. <laughs> and, and there are other references to what happened to the angels. There are other references to two fallen angels and other religions and other religious concepts. I'm not bringing those in here. What I am saying is, is this is one sentence that really mentions nothing about angels you would have to interpret that angels are stars, yet scripture throughout the scripture, the sons of God are like the stars of heaven, not the angels of God. And then you can dive into um, what is actually there Hebraically. It's not even a third in the sense of, you know, if there's, if there's nine objects and three of them, uh, that would be a third, right? Well, the, the language here is actually uh, a third part or one, uh, a third portion, if there are three parts of a cake, right? And it's flour, uh, baking soda, and eggs, right? I'm not going to be able, it's not like cutting the cake and taking a, a slice that's one third of the cake. The idea is that one third of the ingredients is eggs. And it's still one cake, but that cake is made up of three main ingredients. And obviously I'm missing sugar and you know, stuff like that. So I'm not a baker. My wife is an amazing baker, but don't, don't splice my cake ingredients here. Point being is that an egg is, eggs are one third of the ingredient list. And it's not about pulling the, those eggs out. It's about saying that one third of those ingredients is, was cast down to the earth. Now I'm going to insert here that we are three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. And that this is a reference to our bodies being made mortal. This is a reference to our bodies being cast down to the earth and being cast out of their spiritual glorified existence. And that in chapter three, when Adam and Eve fell, that this was that moment that Satan and the serpent 
actually caused uh, Adam and Eve to experience death in the body. Um, obviously not in that moment. They didn't die for, a thousand, for another thousand years. But that this is a third part of humanity and is, as meaning you are a three-part being and one of your three parts has fallen subject to this Satan. So there's a couple ideas on what Satan might be. You know, in the end, um, the short answer is, I believe Satan is an idea. I believe that idea is separation. I will definitely be elaborating on this. And, and really, the holes that I've poked to this point are pretty pretty standard. They're not, uh, I won't have to elaborate much more. But in different uh, classes and, and opportunities coming up, I know people have questions. Well, if Satan isn't, you know, the devil with the pitchfork, what is he? And, and if he's the idea of separation, what does that mean? And so there is actually plenty to unpack about Satan being an idea. And there's plenty to meditate on about that idea being separation and how that is the father of every lie. That, that, is, that is the seed that was sown into Eve, that she was separate from God, that he was over there and she was over here, and that she needed to do something to become like God. I want to give you enough to meditate on, but at the same time, there's there's so much philosophical juice in that process that a podcast could never do it justice. So I guess that's a perfect segue into we're in the beginning of 2019. I know uh, there are a few of you who have been wanting the study group to get going, and it will be launched this month. Um, I wanted it the first Sunday of the year, but... Uh, the holidays and some other projects took precedent, but uh, we will be doing the study groups hopefully in the next two weeks. Uh, stay tuned to your emails if you're following um, the website and you get the emails every time a new post is up. I'll be sending out uh, some sort of information or, or texting those that I know are interested, and obviously I will be speaking about it on the podcast when it goes live. And that study group is going to be for those of you who want to dig into things like this. You know, you want you've heard this and you go, great, you've poked a bunch of holes in who Satan is. What's, what do I replace this, this with? Because the evil is real and demons are real. And how do I work with that? Well, that's what a study group is for. We could call it a mastermind group. Um, I'm not even sure what to call it, but it is for those who want to get more in depth in the details and build a bit of community with each other. I'm also starting to work on some class concepts. The classes take a little bit more work because they have to be recorded and set up, um, whereas the study group can be an immediate engagement. So that will be first, and uh, keep your eyes open for that. If you consider uh, donating, as always, it would be highly appreciated. The more I can justify spending time on New Age Christianity financially, the faster um, things will roll out uh, because <laughs> that's, you know, I have to put my time where I can pay the bills. So. Please consider donating, and there is no pressure in that. Just ask the Spirit. There's uh, the idea of tithing and all that. If you haven't listened to the podcast on giving, go listen to that because there is absolutely zero stress in the finances of this. But at the same time, you want to sow, you want to give reciprocity if you want to get value. If you want to get value out of your journey, you need to either give it time or money or your heart. Because if you don't, it will just go in one ear and out the other. So, please consider donating. And as always, thank you. And then last but not least, uh, next week and the, in the coming weeks, 
hoping to start having some more discussions and actually have some more people on the podcast with me. Um, the first guest I'm hoping to have is uh, Kaylee Hale. She's a spiritual daughter of mine and an amazing mind when it comes to relationships and insights and, and personal awareness. Um, we will hopefully be doing an episode this coming week or the week after that. So exciting things for 2019. Love you guys. Hope this has blessed you or at least given you a lot to think about. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.